Today's podcast is sponsored by Youth Ministry Booster, an online youth ministry resource network that for $25 a month provides all the graphics, games, visuals, resources, and community support that you need to enhance your large group gatherings. Boost your youth ministry at www.youthministrybooster.com. Get everything you need to make your next teaching series great. Visit www.youthministrybooster.com and get boosted today. Honest reflection in youth ministry. Whether you are 19 and are just getting started or have been serving in ministry for 19 years, we hope this weekly dose of honesty and humor helps. Welcome to After Nine, the most honest conversation in youth ministry. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 73 of After Nine. It has been so exciting to be with you on this journey, and today is a very special episode. It's an interview with a youth pastor and now turned senior pastor, good friend of the podcast, Mike Cabone. But more than just Pastor Mike with a wisdom insight for both youth pastors and senior pastors alike, I'm excited for you to hear from him because we are launching a new podcast with him called The Devo with Mike Cabone. And so at Youth Ministry Booster, we don't want just podcasts for youth ministers. We want podcasts for all people. We want to equip youth pastors to have the resources they need to equip their people. And so a devotional podcast is an important thing for us, and we hope also a valuable tool for you. So sit back, listen, meet, and greet the host of the new show for Youth Ministry Booster Podcast Network, Pastor Mike Kibone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to an After Nine interview with... I mean, I'm so excited about it, but this is a man who has much love, mad props for fellow youth ministers. He's on the other team now, kind of, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, senior pastor, but youth pastor extraordinaire, communicator, and good friend of the podcast, Mr. Mike Cabone. How you doing, Pastor Mike? Wow. After nine. I can't believe I am with the after nine crew what's up fellas <laughs> i mean some 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 would say that this is a way of arriving but that's not true at all <laughs> man we hey, uh, it is for this guy hey man you know what we're happy to have you on the airwaves with us today and i'm really excited about this interview we've got some of the after nine questions we wanted to ask you but really we're just super excited to tell all of our after nine listeners about the brand new podcast that's coming out Featuring you. We talked about it a little bit in the intro, and I can't wait to talk about more at the end. But I wanted our people to get the behind the scenes, get to know you, the origin story of Pastor Mike Cabone. And so, Mike, I know that you're serving now as a senior pastor in Oklahoma City, but maybe for our youth ministry friends, if you could wind the clock back a little bit and tell us, like, like, what in the world got you into ministry, right? Like, I mean, that's such a weird, like, job or profession kind of thing. Like, of all the things in the world, why are you involved in youth and now in kind of pastoral ministry? I'm going to have to rewind that clock a whole lot of years, <laughs> man. I'm 45 years old. And oh, it's going to have to take a little cranking time for it. But I want to go all the way back to when I was in college. I was 19 years old. and I was on a spring break mission trip with the Baptist Student Union, right? 
We were in Kiowa, Kansas. Have you ever heard of Kiowa, Kansas before? I haven't, man. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I was pumped about that place. I was pumped about that place. One, because I'm Kiowa, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, hey, here's a town after my trial. So I get my there, people, and there's yeah. not another brown brother in the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it was it was white as white could be. Mm. And so I was a little scared at first, but I got through it. And, um, man, you know, when we went there, our job as a mission team was to take this old bank and flip it into a church. Okay. And our specific job in the team that I worked with was we were taking the vault of the bank and turning it into a fellowship hall. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, you're talking just construction work, you know, all week long. And so uh, uh, we pull into town and I'm telling you, it was a heartbreaking scene, to be honest with you. We pull in late on a Friday night. There's all these teenagers that we pass by, and they're gathered at this place. It's a place that, you know, they probably gathered every weekend. And, man, they were drinking. They were smoking. There's all kinds of just uh, filth going on, you know. And my heart broke for them. And I didn't, I've never met them. I didn't know them. But my heart went out for them. And just in my heart, I knew, man, these were either lost kids or kids that had lost their way who were believers and just, you know, uh, had fallen away and that kind of deal. And and so, man, my heart just broke. I couldn't get him out of my heart, couldn't get him out of my mind. I was supposed to preach that Sunday morning. Now, let me back up just a little bit. The whole reason why I'm on this trip is because I had some experience preaching. Now, when I say some experience, that means my home church let me preach a couple of times. Those couple of times lasted about 10 minutes, probably combined. And, and everybody loved it because, you know, they get to church at six o'clock in the evening. And they were out by 6.15, you know. And so it was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, and so I preached a little bit. The guy who was originally supposed to go was an upperclassman, had done a lot of preaching, and he had to bow out. And so because I had that little bit of experience, they let me go on this upper-class trip. So anyway, my uh, my uh, ESU director, Jimmy Lee Hugh, had made me promise that I would bring a suit and tie. He said, I know this congregation, they're old school there may not be anybody under 65 in that congregation. So you need to have your suit and you need to look the part and all that. And so, man, I got it all ready. But apparently I discovered Sunday morning that I'd forgotten the suit. All I brought was the jacket. I thought everything was on the same hanger, <laughs> but all I had was the jacket. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So I'm thinking, this is brilliant. All right. I'm going to use this as an illustration. So I'm going to dress up in my work clothes and I'm going to put on my jacket. And I had this brilliant spiritual point that I was going to make with it. You know, it was going to be awesome. I came out of there. I came out of there, Zach, and I'm ready to preach. And those people look at me and there's hatred in their eyes. (laughs) I thought I have done a really bad thing right here. Right. And so I start trying to preach. I'm fumbling over my words. This is becoming a disaster quickly. Mm. And so and so I hit the panic button. And you guys are not going to believe this, but I'm telling you the absolute truth, okay? My BSU director, you can call him and verify this. This is not an exaggeration. It's not a made story. I literally stop and I say, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And when they bowed their heads, their angry heads, and closed their angry eyes, I literally snuck off the stage and went out the back door. <laughs> so my BSU director... Jimmy Liu comes up on the stage and apparently preached a great sermon, used me as an illustration, like we had planned it from the beginning. I mean, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was beautiful. Oh, my gosh. 
I went out to the back alley behind the church and I was so mad. I, I thought, God, if you didn't want me to be in ministry, you didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. You know, you could have told me in a quiet time, you know, a nice little prayer walk. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that you could have done to, to tell me that I wasn't called to ministry. And so I was really discouraged and hurt and all that stuff. But the thing that had that, that wouldn't go away was that burden for those teenagers. Mm. And so, um, I, we started our work day on Monday and working hard. And finally, I just, I went to, to our leadership and I said, Hey, man, you remember those kids that, that we saw coming to town? Man, my heart has been breaking for them ever since we saw them. I know we're supposed to do something for the youth here in the church on Wednesday, but could we open it up to the community, to all the students in the community? And, uh, our BSU director was, man, he was, he was open to the idea, but he said, you know, our priorities get this work done. So if you can get some work done on that, you know, on your break times at lunch and stuff like that, you know, you want to rally the troops, go ahead and, and we'll, we'll see what the Lord does with it. And so I did every break that we had, every meal basically that we had. I rallied our team. There's probably about 20 or so of us there, college students, and just shared the vision, shared the heart. We planned this big Wednesday night deal. And, and understand, the Wednesday night that we had planned for the church was for probably three or four kids. Mm. And probably most of them, if not all of them, didn't want to be there. And uh, But we were going to give it all, all we had. So we dreamed up this deal. We called it Wednesday Night Live. We were going to do some fun skits. And then at the end, share the gospel, you know, read them hot dogs and Kool-Aid, you know. And um, and so we all pitched in our own money to get that stuff. We went out everywhere we could find teenagers every day, Monday afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday. We went everywhere we could. We went to the school, went to their lunch, went to where they hung out after school. We were handing out flyers. I mean, man, we worked it like a summer job. Okay, mm-hmm. And so we were we were praying. Hey, this is big faith right here. We were praying, God, give us 25 kids. Yeah. Give us yeah. 25 kids. That's what we bought, the hot dog buns. We love it. And, uh, and God moved. We had 85 kids show up that night. That's awesome. 85 kids. So you talk about a modern day fishes and loaves moment, man. We're breaking those hot dogs up. We got the most watery Kool-Aid you ever had. And, uh, and we're just trying to make it work. And I'll never forget. I went to our director and I said, Hey, when we get to the end, this is our last kid. Will you share the gospel? Yeah. No. I said, what do you mean? No. He said, God put it on your heart. Mm. You need to do it. Mm. And I said, were you not there Sunday? I said, man, I, I, I can't do this. I tried and I can't do it. He goes, God put it on your heart. You're going to do it. Mm. And I said, okay. And, uh, and I was, I was scared. I was nervous. I, I mean, not an ounce of confidence in me. And we got to that last skit and it was time to step up and share the gospel. And it was like a switch came on and, I was able to share the gospel, just feel the Holy Spirit, man, just drop in that moment. And we saw a bunch, I mean, a bunch of those kids saved. Mm. And the ones that that didn't get saved that night were broken over their sin. I mean, it was a powerful moment. And that's when I knew God had called me specifically to work with teenagers. And so it was from that point on that I began to chase and follow every opportunity I you know, would be a sponsor at you know, my church. I'd, be, I'd go to Falls Creek, go to camp, be a D-NOW group leader, all that. I mean, anything that had youth ministry on it, I just was I was involved as a volunteer. Mm. And finally, the Lord opened up an opportunity to be a part-time youth pastor at First Baptist Geronimo. And I did that for right about 25 years. And so That's pretty awesome. amazing. That's awesome. And I love that like, there's such a, like, a, a powerful kind of like key moment, right? Like there is that kind of 
for all the other things that contribute to the thing, there is that kind of like turning moment where <laughs> the disappearance and the reappearance of, uh, of, uh, you know, Mike Kebo and Sharon uh, and preaching, I think is, uh, man, that's a, that's a powerful thing, especially because uh, knowing you and, and kind of our shared friendship, like it, that, that is, seems to be like a very like kind of like consistent thread and theme uh, of, of your desire to, to be led in the way in which God has put something on your heart. And so the idea of you um, trying to dress it up and put it this way and feeling like, ah, I don't know, but then kind of reemerging after like shaking the bushes to get the kids involved. Uh, man, that, that's a good story. That's a powerful origin story, man. I just, I think when you see uh, youth ministry today, the landscape of it, I think the reason why a lot of guys struggle, okay, now I want to legitimize something here. There are guys that are called, that go through struggles, and it's just hard. Man, ministry today is just hard because of what kids are going through than what I dealt with when I first started ministry. I mean, you've got the advent of social media, the expanse of the internet, and all things going on with that. You know, there are a whole lot of different issues, and our, our kids are just bombarded. Media is mm. uh, doing things that it never looked like it could do back when, when I first started in this deal. And so there's definitely a challenge for the guys that are truly called. But I think we have a bunch of guys out there that are doing youth ministry but aren't called. Mm. They have grown up looking at this as a really cool job they can have, and they, they come in with a mindset that I'm going to get to do really cool things, I'm going to get to be this really cool leader. And then when you know they don't have that call, and they get hit in the mouth. It gets hard, and a lot of those guys are the ones that quit, you know. And so I think it's important, you know, you mentioned that defining moment. I think it's important that every guy that's called have that defining moment where God has said, this is what you're called to do. Yeah. So that's a a good anchor to hold on to. Oh, that's good, man. Especially when when the whole world is spinning and you've got that one thing to, like, clutch. That's good. That's good. So in all those years, though, favorite moment there's got to be something that like maybe more than everything else kind of rises to the top as like just either really powerful or really moving or just like every time you think about it it brings the smile like what what was one of your favorite youth ministry moments without a doubt uh, i was in bixby oklahoma at riverview baptist church and it was a wednesday night and uh there was a, a new family that had had been coming to our church and that uh, they'd been displaced from Arkansas. And so everything was new to them. And we've got a young man that is in his senior year, doesn't know anybody, had been for years, a, a, uh, had been for years building his life in Arkansas and suddenly comes here and, and has nothing. And so he's having a hard time. He's struggling. And I was surprised even to see him there on that particular Wednesday night, just because it had, they'd been having a rough time. They'd asked me if I would come and visit with him. And so we were scheduling that out. And so when he showed up that Wednesday, man, I was really pumped and really proud of that. And I was looking forward to talk to him after the service was over, you know, because I didn't notice him until we started. And so anyway, we go through and uh, have this powerful worship time. And the Lord is really connecting through the word. Service is over and we get into our invitation time. And the Lord gives me this picture in my mind of this bucket that's full of holes mm. and water is just coming out of all those holes. Mm. And, I'm, and and this, I just see this. I, don't, I can't see a per- person. I just see the image of a person that's trying to cover up all those holes, to keep the water inside. And so 
the Lord speaks in my heart and says, I want you to, I want you to describe that picture. And so I think this is really crazy, right? I think this is weird, but I know I'm supposed to do it. It's not any question of whether I'm supposed to do it or not. It's just, it just seems weird. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm. And so I just kind of pause and, and begin to paint that picture. And as soon as I get done explaining that picture, I mean, without giving it any meaning, just describing what, what I'd seen in my heart, that man, that young man comes, I mean, beeline down the middle, mm. right that middle aisle, coming right at me. I mean, it looks like he's going to attack me, you know, so I kind of bow up a little bit waiting, you know, and, uh, and he gets up to me and no lie, he grabs my, grabs my shirt around my collar and he, he's crying, tears streaming. And he goes, I need to be saved right now. Mm. I said, I said, okay, man. I said, hey, let's. I said, hey, let's let's visit. Let's visit after after this is done, man. I want to stand. I want to talk. He goes, you don't understand. I need to be saved right now. Mm. And I said, man, what's going on? Talk to me. He said, I'm sitting back there and I'm I'm mad at God and I've got all these thoughts going through my head that I hate because I I really deep down inside I want to know God but I, I just I don't believe that He's real and and I I I begin to think my life is like this bucket it's full of holes and I keep trying to fill it up and it's not working mm. and you started describing that picture and the Lord spoke to my heart and said that I need to be saved you need to tell me how to be saved right now mm. and I began to explain to that young man that Jesus lived that He died that He rose again. And it was it was incredible. I got to lead that man to the Lord, that young man to the Lord that night. It wasn't the same after that. I mean, it was incredible. And so so that's one of the big moments I think of mm. uh, when when I think about my time in youth ministry. I mean, there's a bunch of them. You do it long enough, you're going to have a lot of great memories. But that's definitely one of my favorites. True, 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 true. Man, another again, another powerful moment of being led and called to do the thing and fulfilling it and falling and being faithful. But as we all know, in youth ministry, um, not every night— <laughs> is is an image that that God delivers unto you and maybe <laughs> some weeks feel a little more like a, a a bucket with holes um was there ever and probably probably maybe true uh whatever there a time that you almost quit was there was there a night or a camp week or a sunday happening where you were like yeah i think i'm done here i think this is it <laughs> oh man um you know you feel discouraged a lot just because, you know, you work so hard and you're trying to get things done. And sometimes people don't understand the work you put into something. And people look at what you do as you know, just playing games with kids and, and that kind of stuff. And so you have some moments where you're down. But I, I think the one that, that I would that I would say, okay, this this was, this one almost got me. Uh, but I was at this church and one of my, I mean, key youth workers, key youth workers, and this is my right-hand person, okay, had an inappropriate relationship. Mm. with a student and because of the popularity of that person in the community um they they turned the tables on me mm. and basically even though i had proved it had all the evidence i mean it was it was a no-brainer this this happened um they confessed i mean and, and i've got witnesses for that i mean it, this is this is all there and uh but turn the entire place seemed like against me. Just felt like there was no justice. You know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm making sure that this is called out and it's done and it's dealt with the way it's supposed to be dealt with. And I suddenly became the bad guy in this community. And it was at that point where I thought, and I'm done. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. The only thing that, that saved my ministry life was the fact that I knew I was called. 
And I just I can't say that I understood at that exact moment. This was me having to walk through this. This is me having to process and and get to the root of it all. I mean, this just took some time because it was painful. But it was just remembering God had called me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And it doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter the people. I've got to fulfill the calling that God has put on my life. And so, um, so anyway, but yeah, that was a dark time and it was hard. And uh, but God did come back and and. I won't say vindicated, but he definitely brought healing to those students that were affected, mm. and uh, and the re- and the ministry rebounded in a great way. Testimony to the way in which uh, maybe God's timing isn't always our timing, but the, that the goodness uh, and the justice seem to to always find its way to land. Man, that's good. Well, hey, brother, one of the things we do want to ask you a little bit to share um, before we give everybody a little taste, a little preview of the new podcast show is uh, maybe if you like want to just take a minute or two and kind of share some wisdom from the other side. So Chad and I talk a lot about uh, youth pastor, youth minister, student worker, uh, relationship with their senior pastor. I think for a lot of our folks that listen to the After 9 show, um, maybe are serving in places where they've got like a senior pastor and maybe one or two other staff people. And so it's always kind of like interesting being, you know, maybe you're a younger youth pastor, 22, 24, or maybe you've just started in youth ministry. What is some wisdom you would give to someone new to ministry or someone who's serving in one of those churches you remember growing up serving in um, to, to learn from their senior pastor? Like what, what do you know now that you didn't know then that you would want other youth ministers to know now about their senior pastor? I would, I would definitely want youth pastors that are just starting out to try to understand or at least try to get a grasp of how stressful being the senior pastor is. And uh, and I felt like I had a healthy respect for the position because I knew the stress levels uh, involved in in my area. Yeah. You know, yeah. I knew what it was like uh, for me. And then, you know, think about this. If I'm feeling that in the position that I'm in, Think about what the senior pastor is going through when he's responsible, not just for children's ministry or youth ministry or worship ministry, but he's also the one responsible for the entire staff. He's responsible for shepherding the entire flock. He's having to make decisions that affect other people's lives. I mean, that's been, you know, I I knew it was a different level, but now being a pastor, I'm telling you, there are things that come across my desk, across my table that are hard Mm. and it's harder than anything that I've ever had to do um, because there's so much on the line and you're dealing with um, not just the, you know, because issues that teenagers go through are difficult. Like I said earlier, this is one of the hardest times ever in youth ministry, I think. But now you think of, okay, if the kids are going through that, what are the, what's the trouble the adults are going through? Mm. And, uh, and so being able to, work with those adults and, uh, and, and kind of be their counselor too, and try to give wisdom into those kind of situations. And, uh, but just, you know, it's just a, the pastor has a giant plate and my plate as a youth pastor is one part of that plate sometimes. And here's the other deal too, is there are times when my pastor, and I'm thinking of this back when I was a youth pastor, there were times when my pastor was defending me and I never knew it. Mm. I never knew it. Um, you know, I've I've got a great youth pastor, so I've not had to spend a whole lot of time dealing with that 
right now. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of other pastors and, you know, a lot of times when, you know, a lot of youth pastors say, well, my pastor changed. Like he started out this way and then all of a sudden it's like he's a different guy. Well, he's a different guy because he's been getting some chewing mm. on your behalf, mm. you know, and he's not going to tell you every time that he hears a complaint. He's not going to tell you every time that he hears an issue. Many times that pastor is going to bat for you, fighting for you, giving you the benefit of the doubt, but doesn't want to hurt you. doesn't want to hurt your family. And so he kind of bottles it up and then at some point doesn't really know how to process or deal with that. So then it comes out mm. in attack mode or it comes out in, you know, everything being great. And then all of a sudden you're fired, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and kind of just an overreaction. And I'll tell you, that's not good or right for pastors to do that or be that way. And that's what I'm having to learn. And I'm, I'm trying to coach other pastors. You know, communication is huge. And you made a reference to that. It's like two ships passing in the night. You know, you've got to be able to communicate. And uh, and, and I, if I was a young youth pastor again, I would be I would be an absolute bugaboo to my pastor. Is there anything that I'm doing that uh, is stressing you out? Is there anything that I'm doing that you can see that in the long run could be a train wreck for me? You know, it's working here. I'm getting by with it. OK, here. But down the road, what are you know, what are some of my weaknesses? Mm. And And I've got to be strong enough as a person to be able to hear somebody tell me what my weaknesses are. Mm. I got to be able to understand where I can get better and those kind of things. Because, you know, a lot of youth pastors, and that's what I love about youth pastors is they, ha they have a dynamic personality. They have that thing. I, it's a calling is what I call it. A lot, not a lot of people share that, but it's, it's just that divine calling where you stick them around teenagers and they're going to flock to them mm. and they can rally the troop, get them to charge hell with a water pistol. And that's awesome. But, you know, a good example of this, uh, I took the most kids we'd ever taken to camp at this little bitty church I was part-time youth pastor at. I mean, we took, and I'm telling you, when I say more than we've ever taken, I, I've I'm talking three, four, five times more than they've ever taken in their lives. Okay. I mean, this was an incredible, incredible deal. And so we get to like the middle of the week, right? And my pastor is just like, Man, it's like, I can't do anything to make him happy, you know, and he's just right there. And just, I can just see the look of disgust on the guy's face. And so finally I, I go and talk. And so I go to him. I say, hey, I said, everything OK? I mean, we're seeing kids saved every night. We've got the biggest group this church has ever taken. I mean, this is and I'm thinking this is like a home run. Like, what? what's the problem? And he says this. He asked me this question. He goes. So last night when we went to bed. How did you know? that we had every kid in their bed. Mm. I said, uh, I, this is my answer. I guess if we were missing somebody, I thought somebody would have noticed. <laughs> he said, it's your job to notice. Mm. He said, you had no idea. Even when we started the service last night, mm. you had no idea if every kid was here. You didn't know if we were missing anybody. You'd do anything mm. to find out that. And so, and what I've seen as I grew in that and began to correct that in myself, what I continued to see in youth ministry is there were a lot of guys like that, man, great dynamic personalities, great visionaries, great, great big event guys. But when it came to the details, man, that was the thing that was getting fired, mm. you know? And so it starts this career trend of being at a church for two years, you know, man, being this great dynamic personality, running more kids than they've ever seen, and then suddenly losing their job, mm. you know? And so I was, I was blessed to have a pastor that had committed to me from the 
very beginning, he knew that I, I was new to ministry. He knew that I was young. And he told me, this is what he said. He said, I, God has called me to be your sandpaper. Hmm. And he said, and so, man, I'm going to celebrate with you when you do good. And I'm going to you know, encourage you along the way. But man, when there's a rough edge, I'm going to sand it off hmm. because I want you to be who God wants you to be. And Mount Town, he fired me three times, but he he hired me back four, you know. And so it was a it was a great relationship. But it's what it taught me, you know, down the road, man. When I when you're going through the interview process, I don't think I've ever met anyone that got hired without having to talk to the pastor yeah. pretty significantly, yeah. you know. And so I've learned to ask hard questions and learn to really know what the expectations are and uh, and to see, you know, is this someone that wants to hire me and then just get out of the way and you know, if I sink or swim, that's on me. Or is it somebody that wants to invest in my life? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, man, I was, you know, one of the things that I feel like God used to always confirm his calling on my life somewhere was that he helped me to have a pastor that was willing to invest in my life mm-hmm. and cared about my success in ministry and, and was willing to, you know, to, to be sandpaper for me. Well, man, that, that, man that's, a, that's a good word, brother, and I'm really thankful for you sharing it. And I know for a lot of our listeners— um, that's a relationship that's not going away. If you're a youth minister, you're always going to have somebody that's serving in some kind of uh, senior or executive role, and it's so important to foster healthy communication. And that means taking the initiative and being a bugaboo, right? That means going to them and saying, that's you know, it. here's what I'm doing. Here's, you know, here's the question of what can I do better? What can I do more of? What can I do less of? And that willingness to go and ask and go and learn, I think, is so critical and so important. Well, I want to I want to share something too, if it's all right. Yeah. Uh, a message to pastors in this, because this is a burden that's on my heart, and I, and I, I see this way too much, to be honest with you guys. Um, you know, because of how youth pastors are wired. You know, think think about the ministry that that we were in in youth ministry. Okay, uh, we saw God do a lot of really amazing things. We see it on Wednesday nights. We see it on Sunday mornings. We see it at camp. We see it at D now. You know, I never had a hard time mm. finding adults to come serve in the ministry because they won't want to be a part of that. Right. And so because we have the venue, the opportunity, because we because of the nature of the age group that we're working with, man, we get to see God do some really incredible things a lot. Mm. Right. And pastors and I want to speak to you. Sometimes we don't have that kind of venue, that kind of opportunity, and we don't have a measuring stick that is right in front of us like that all the time. And so what we have to guard against as pastors is becoming jealous, mm. jealous of the success. You know, I used to I used to hear this all the time, and people would say this in front of my pastor. And I'm not trying to brag about me. I'm just trying to give you an example. Um, you know, I get to preach like one Sunday, you know, uh, out of— you know, six months. Right. And so, man, I had a lot of time to prepare for that sermon. I, you know, it was, I had one bullet I had to yeah. shoot. Right. Yeah, and here's yeah. a guy that has been, you know, preaching 51 of those Sundays. Right. Mm-hmm. And I get one, you know, and so I've got a lot of time. And so, man, I'm swinging for the fences, trying to hit the home run. And, and here's what people would say. They would say to my pastor right in front of me, they'd say, Hey, you better not let that boy preach too much. You're going to be working yourself out of a job. Mm-hmm. Which they and, probably meant so nice, they right? Meant they it they, they meant it so nice, but yeah, what that, that creates. It, it was a it was a compliment. Yeah, it was a compliment to me, 
But what do you think it did to my pastor? Mm. But as a pastor, man, you've got to, you know, you're, you're the shepherd, right? Mm. And so you got to be willing to, 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 to hear compliments and to receive compliments to your staff, even, even if it makes you feel like you're not as important, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, because what that does is the enemy takes that root there of jealousy and he'll just build on it. You know, that one little thing's not going to set that pastor off or change his heart. You know, my pastor laughed it off and that kind of thing. But then it, it, I did see it affect our relationship down the yeah. road, you know. And uh, and so, you know, it's easy for a pastor to get jealous of any staff member's success. But I see it more in the youth ministry mm-hmm. than anything just because they have a lot of adults that are in that ministry, so they have a following, yeah. right? How many times? How many times you heard that? Yeah, you know, yeah. man, he's got a big following. Yeah, you know? yeah. you've got an army of students, and and so it looks like they're winning the popularity contest because the youth pastor is typically the guy that's in the community the most. Sure. When you're out in public, everybody's talking about that youth pastor. Yeah. And uh, and so what I tell pastors is, well, then get in the community. Yeah. The community too, you know. And uh, and so, man, as a pastor now, I can say that as a youth pastor. I, I was scared to say that, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't have said it, uh, but being on this side and, and you know, I, I tell my guys all the time, I want you to shine as bright as the Lord will let you shine Man, same team, same dream. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so I love, and I, and I love bragging about my guys. I love building them up. And, and that's, you know, what I'd say to pastors, don't let jealousy get you, mm. but feed into that, yeah. feed into that, be an encourager. When, when they get bragged on, you, you brag about them more when yeah. people are proud proud of them, you be proud of them more, you know, and, and, uh, and cause what I have, you know, my heart for my pastor, when I was a youth pastor was I wanted to help the guy. Yeah. You know, I wanted to preach, not because I wanted to preach. I wanted to preach to give him a break, you know, or to feel like he could, you know, if he had an emergency in his family or something that happened or he would be on call for him, I want to help him, you know, and free him up a little bit. And, and so I think, you know, good communication and, and, you know, fostering a good relationship, um, works both ways. Right. That's good. That's good. Well, brother, thank you so much. Uh, we are super excited for the new show. And so uh, Mike will have all the details in the show notes of how you can get connected with Pastor Mike Cabone. But until then, check out this clip of the Devo with Mike Cabone. Hey guys, this is Mike Keybone. Glad, glad to be hanging out with you for a little bit today. I got to go back to my childhood, okay? I was thinking about this the other day. I, I grew up poor, okay? Well, that's not even correct. We was po, okay? Poor is like a higher class than po. We, we couldn't afford the O and the R then, you know what I mean? We was po. And so we didn't have vacations. We didn't have allowance you know I was allowed to go outside that was my allowance you know what I'm saying and so you know anything that I saw that was like amazing it was almost like it was just a dream you know I would see things like commercials for amusement parks and in our neck of the woods Six Flags over Texas was the big deal when I was a kid and had all these great rides and these commercials it looked so fun and and they had water parks you know I'd never even thought about going to a water park and so I'm in junior high, okay, same, now picture this, okay, big brown guy, just a smaller version in junior high. So it's kind of like from Milk Dud to Peanut M&M, you know what I'm saying? And so I was so excited to find out we were going to go 
on this big school trip. We were going to go to Dallas, Texas. Listen, I'd never been out of the state of Oklahoma before. Small town boy, country bumpkin, had never seen skyscrapers, big buildings, big city. I mean, so we we were going to go on this day. I'm so excited. I get this, check this beautiful outfit out. I know we're going to the water park one of those days. And so I get me some swimming trunks that are the major Hawaiian theme. And they've got a big Hawaiian shirt that goes with it. I got me some flip-flops. And this is back in the day when flip-flops weren't these little skinny deals. I mean, these were the flip-flops. I mean, they were like three inches thick and doubled as a life preserver if you needed them. I mean, they were amazing. And so I got this little outfit on. In fact, I wear it the day that we're leaving. Okay, that's what I wear onto the bus. Got my Hawaiian outfit on, my big old my big old flip-flops. And I'll never forget, it's like a three-hour drive. And I just can't wait. I'm so excited. And I see the big city. I see the big buildings. We get there. We get to wet and wild. I'm just in awe. And I, I get to the entrance. In the, and if you're familiar with wet and wild, it was like this. The entrance is like this giant raindrop with a big smile on his face. It's like he's giving you a hug, like welcoming you to this incredible water wonderland, right? And so I'm almost in tears. I'm so happy. I'm going to go in and do this. And the first thing we do, we go in. I see the lazy river. Okay, this is a big man's dream, the lazy river. You don't have to do anything except float. You just get in the water. All these other kids are renting inner tubes. I didn't have to do that. I have this uncanny ability to float when I'm in water, okay? Sometimes I jump in water, and it throws me right back out. I mean, it's unbelievable. I can float like a champion of justice. And so I get in the lazy river, and I lay down on my back, and I'm just cruising. the lay- And I listen, I was ready to do this from the time we got there until the time we left. My friends have left me. They've moved on. They've gone, done other things. They come back for me. And they're like, dude, you got to get out of this thing. And I was like, no, I don't have to do anything. Like, no, you got, there's some cool stuff over here. I said, there is nothing more cool than this. This over here, listen, there's something over here that is way cool. Okay, did you say way cool? And they're like, right here, man, way cool. Okay, I got to check this out. So they take me to this giant swimming pool. It looks like just a giant swimming pool. It doesn't look like anything special. And I look at it, it's just a big pool. And they said, Start walking in the water to the middle. It's like no big deal, right? So mind you, I still got my flip-flops on, big old baggy Hawaiian drawers, big old baggy Hawaiian shirt. I walk in this water. I get to about waist-high water. And all of a sudden, I hear, and I was like, oh, no, I broke something. You know what I'm saying? I'm like freaking out. I don't know what's going on. Then I start hearing, and I turned and I saw this giant wave coming at me. And so I'm freaking out. I don't really know how to swim that good. And so I try to race the wave out of the pool. And there's no chance. This wave literally picks me up. Listen, I haven't been lifted up since I was a child, since I was a baby. And that was a struggle. You know what I'm saying? And so this wave lifts me up. And then throws me down. And at first it was fun, but then there were like a million other waves that followed. And pretty soon it's just dunking me under the water, throwing me around. Pretty soon it's like it just threw me off to the side of the pool. And I was just like, uh, uh, uh. and I looked at my, my buddies. They were like, you were this high. And I was like, I know. It was awesome. And so I loved it. You know, I was scared for the moment, but then I loved it. And so I wanted to just stay right there in that pool, the wave pool the whole time. 
And they were like, dude, you can't stay here. You got to come check this out over here. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And they, they, I looked over and there was this ginormous slide. There were actually two of them connected. And you go up the same set of stairs to go to these two big slides. One of them looked way fun. It was just this giant curly cue. And you get on the top and it just does this little curly cue, slow your roll all the way down, get to the end, you know, drop into a little puddle of water and everybody's happy. The other one was the slide of death. It was called Geronimo. Okay, let me talk about Geronimo for a second. It didn't look like anybody that was riding on Geronimo thought that that was a good idea. They're screaming. They're they're just terrified. The looks on their faces are just horrible. And I can, I can see they're not enjoying it. I said, there's no way I'm getting on that. And they said, well, at least just go ride the curly cue. I said, okay, I'm down with the curly cue. I'll go try that. So we climb up the stairs and it gets to the place where you have to divide and go to the slide that you're going to. And so I go my way, they go their way. I slap them a high five and I go and this, this 16 year old kid hands me a mat. Okay. Now listen, I'm a big dude. This little mat is the size of a piece of notebook paper. And I'm supposed to sit on that and slide down the slide. It's like a magic trick. When I sat down on that mat, it disappeared. You know what I'm saying? It was gone. And not only that, I fit the slide perfectly. And so the water that was normally running down the slide is now being pinned up behind my back. And so I can feel the water rising behind me. People behind me are like, you got to go. You got to go. And I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying. And the pressure's building up. The water's getting higher. The 16-year-old boy's looking at me like, you're going to have to scooch. And I don't even know what that means. You're going to have to scooch. And I'm like, oh, well, what do you do? What do you mean? She goes, you know, scoot. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And, and so he goes, on the count of three, I'm going to push, and you're going to scooch. And I was like, okay. And so one, two, three. He pushes. I scooch. And I shoot out of that thing like a cannon, okay? I mean, that water pressure behind me was unbelievable. I start shooting down this slide, and as I'm going down this slide, I look over to my left, and I see my friend with his hands like like he's asking a question. He's got his hands raised up. He's looking at me in confusion, and I realize that he's going down the curly cue slide. Hey, friends, if you want to find out what happens to Pastor Mike on the other side of the not curly Q slide, make sure to check out the Devo with Mike Cabone dropping this April. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to After 9. We'll see you back next week. Thanks for listening to After 9. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter or Facebook at After 9 Ministry or visit www.after9ministry.com to subscribe and learn more.
Turn your world upside down. And I'm gonna show you things you've never seen before. 